Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. Thanksgiving is coming up and I'm sure many of you have plans and hopefully it's together with family and friends and food. And as I think about Thanksgiving, there are plenty of places and things you can do for Thanksgiving. First question today is, where are you? Where are you going to be on Thanksgiving? Think about that this moment. Where are you going to be Thanksgiving morning? Kingsway and some of us are doing a turkey bowl. And after that, we will be joining together with our respective family. And we'll be enjoying turkey at home. I hope none of you will be here on Thanksgiving. This is McDonald's, the Golden Arches. I'm thankful for McDonald's. You know, these days my wife makes a home-cooked meal and I don't have to eat fast food. But growing up, I pretty much lived on fast food. McDonald's was a place where I enjoyed French fries, milkshakes, chicken nuggets. My kids call them nugs. How many of you have not ever been to a McDonald's? Yeah. For the record on those on the podcast, not a single hand is raised. We've all have been, we've all have experienced, even if it's just one time, you can go out of the country and visit a McDonald's and experience it. And when you go, there are people serving these billions and billions. These people are young adults. They are teenagers. They come from all walks of life and they are serving. They are flipping burgers. They are manning the fry station. They are at the drive-thru ready to take your order. They are managing and maintaining the cash registers up front. And when these billions of people come in, most of them want some food. Quickly, as a matter of fact. Dollar menu and such. Now, these young people, these young adults and teenagers that usually work there at the, at the cash registers, you can read on the news pretty much anywhere, or the news feed, if, if McDonald's or a fast food restaurant pops up on your news feed, it's probably because there's drama taking place in the restaurant or in the parking lot of the restaurant. How often do you believe Jesus is talked about at McDonald's? How often do you believe people come into McDonald's and have a discussion about Jesus? How effective would it be if, say, some people were to go into McDonald's and begin to witness to the people that worked at McDonald's. How effective would it be, in fact, if a senior citizen was to come in and to begin to share the gospel with a teenager while the teenager was trying to take his order, the senior citizen was trying to give him something else. I want you to imagine that for a second. A senior sharing the gospel with a teenager at a counter at McDonald's. Is that going to be effective? Chris, is that the way we line up apologetics 101? When we say we're going to evangelize, do we say to ourselves, let's go to McDonald's and witness to the employees. They have to listen to us. They ain't going anywhere. Is it kosher? Is it politically correct? Is it legal? Will we get ushered out? Will we be drama? Now, let's rephrase the question. God can do all things. God can use us in many ways. Is this the most effective way for God to get the attention of teenagers? You see them. They're everywhere. I can't even get the attention of the teenagers on the top row right now, except for one of them. And I'm literally talking to them right now. So I ask you today, 
I ask you this question. What does it take to get your attention? How does God get your attention? Process it. Think about it. How does God get your attention? When he needs to get a hold of you, what does he do? How does he do it? What does God have to do to make you pay attention? Does God have your attention this morning, right now? Frankly, I don't care if you listen to me or not. Maybe you hear the word of God coming through me. Perhaps the spirit will prick something in you. Perhaps you will hear something God is speaking to you. I want to know if God has your attention this morning. And if so, how did he get it? Is it just because years and years of knowing I need to come to church, when I come through those doors, I shift the gear, I turn on my, you know, my God frame, and I can begin to listen to God now? You know, at home, throughout the week, in the shower, dealing with the kids, it's hard to do. But when I come to church, man, I'm plugged in. Is that how it works? How did God originally get your attention? It wasn't always you were in this church. Brother Frank's been sitting in that pew for a very long time, but I imagine as a boy, this church wasn't in this place. Somewhere he was running around playing. How did God get his attention? How did God get your attention? Originally, how did it start? How did it begin? I've heard your story, Jared. We've heard his story. God got his attention. He ignored God until God used some beautiful woman to re-get his attention, and now God has changed his life. Amen? Amen. Maybe you are a non-Christian here today. I don't know. I don't know everyone. I can't see everyone. I'm getting older. My glasses only work so far. You are really spread out today. If you are not a Christian today, maybe you'll ask yourself this question. Maybe you're even going through your mind and saying, oh, I'll tell you, Pastor. If I'll put my faith in your God, if God would answer that sentence. Whatever you put there, you're sort of suggesting, you're intimating that if God did this, he would have your attention and you would believe. I hope if you're not a Christian today, you would at least ask yourself that. What does God have to do to get your attention this morning, to earnestly get your focus? And if you are a Christian today, and most of you are. I'm sure you have unsaved loved ones, unsaved friends, unsaved family. And maybe you ask yourself that question, and maybe you phrase it as a statement. My unsaved blank, my unsaved wife, my unsaved son, my unsaved family member, they would put their faith in God if God would blank. What is it? Each one of us have a different mindset on what that may be. As a youth pastor, Chris, I preached many sermons about this very topic right here because kids have a very vivid imagination. They want God to do all sorts of things. They want God to literally rip the roof off of this building, stick his big head in and say, hi. They want God to manifest as a shadow of light here and begin to hover around. You know, and I would ask these kids, why would you want that? Probably because they could YouTube it. Probably. You know, I've been asking myself this question for a couple of weeks now. What does it take for God to get my attention? You know, at home, I have a, we moved into a new home. We have some extra closets, and one of the closets I've designated is a prayer closet. I encourage you in your home, in your life, to designate something as sacred, anything, your Bible even. Designate something as sacred so that when you see that thing, that object, that room, that space, that area, you think of God as a reminder 
Every time I walk past that prayer room, it is a reminder. He has got my attention. He doesn't need to say anything. It's almost as if the room is calling me. Why aren't you praying now? Why aren't you with me? Why aren't you spending time with me? Does it work? Sometimes. Does it work every time? No. So, I begin the process. Okay, God, let me put you aside for a second and think about how anything today in my life gets my attention. How is my attention refocused? How is my attention gained in America today with my family? I don't know. In my family, if you have a bunch of kids and you begin to try to get their attention, it may look a little like this. This is a dinner table. And at the dinner table or breakfast table, there is a mother, a father, and two kids all on their device, on their phone. Now, I need to say this disclaimer right from the beginning. This is not judgment. There is no condemnation here. I'm not trying to make any statement other than this looks like my family sometimes. Absolutely. I have teenagers. I have a six-year-old. He loves his device. Sure, we put limits on it or whatnot, but he uses it. And a lot of times we're looking down like this, not necessarily at the dinner table. My one son has a device cage where we have to put our things in to eat dinner and obviously look at each other eye to eye at some point in the course of the day. But we do do this. The phone has this innate ability to gather our attention. There's lots of things on it, information, entertainment, Bible verses, devotions, all sorts of things. Just the other day, we had family game night. Family game night in our home is a time where all the family plays a game. Generally, it's a board game. Now, this was supposed to be a wholesome family activity. My family is very competitive. From the point of even choosing the game, it is a battle. Who is going to win? Who gets to choose the game? Who gets to set the game up? Who sits in what position? What, what direction is the board oriented? That is a minor victory. That's an advantage. We all know that. Who goes first? Now we have this crazy thing where who goes first, it doesn't determine the order because some of our kids want to say, well, then this person goes second, this person goes third, as opposed to just going around. It's straight competition. I love it. I enjoy it. It's my family, and it's part of who I am. It's fine. But before family game night the other night, we had a friend over, so there wasn't just six of us. There were seven of us. And before family game night, we were in the living room deciding on what game to play, and all of us, all seven of the human beings were on their device. Now, we were carrying on a full conversation. What game you want to play? What do you, but we were all looking down. Now, in my defense, four of us were playing a game together cooperatively, and we were literally playing a video game on the phones, you know, in a social setting while we were all looking down. And it was funny. It's the new way of doing things. This is how we get our kids' attention. This is part of what America is right now. You could say you don't like it. You could say it's bad. You could say it's evil, but it is the fact of our culture today. The phones get our attention. In fact, what was I going to do here? I brought my phone up because I wanted to share this with you. If I want to get a hold of my kids and I'm in my office and I scream any one of their names, I won't do it because I don't want don't to single any of them out. But if I scream child's name, child's name, it's silence. I could scream child's name, child's name, silence. I could get, oh, help me, please, silence. I could text my child, dad, what's up, what do you need? Instantly. I, I don't even care what else they're doing. They could be playing a game, they could be doing homework. I text them, they'll reply to me almost inevitably, almost instantly. Why is that? I want you to continue to process it. 
I'm not condemning my children or our culture. I'm going to even evaluate myself. I travel the world and especially the United States. I go to companies all over and I'm in boardrooms often and I meet with executives as part of my day job. And often in the case, I am in a C-level meeting with an executive who has to make a major decision on hiring or firing, on potentially a strategy or even a hundred million dollar investment. And I'm there prepared trying to share information with them and they're very focused on what I'm saying. And then this happens. You hear something that sounds like this. Can you hear that? Let me see, let me see, make it better. Let's do, do it again. Hear that? You heard that sound, right? Every, I didn't need to play it that loud and you heard it. It's embedded in us, isn't it? You hear that sound and you're like, what is that? that that's an email. And my mind, I'm, I'm in the middle of a conversation, my mind starts going, is that my wife? Did she email me? Because she didn't want to text me, she knows I'm in a meeting and maybe it's really important. It's an email, I gotta read it right now. It's more important than this meeting. Oh no, wait a minute, maybe, maybe the email is about my fantasy football team or maybe the email is about $10 off at Old Navy. Inevitably the email is spam and it's you know, somebody selling me insurance in, in India for a car I don't have, inevitably. Or this sound, right? This one comes too. You know that one? This one? You don't know that one, Tom? That's a text message. That means somebody's trying to get a hold of you and they need you right now. You have to stop what you're doing and respond to them. Even me, it grabs my attention. Christians, non-Christians, we all do it. I'm not condemning you. I'm telling you it's a fact of life. And as Christians, I wonder if it's almost as if God has done this. Like, this thing on my phone, he's trying to call me. He's like, you just missed a FaceTime call. Who was it from? God himself. The Lord God has just called you and you missed it. That's how we act when we answer our phones, right? I mean, never has the Lord physically called me on my phone or texted me. I think there's a whole show on TV now called Friended by God or something like that. I don't know what it's about, but it's the same concept. God interacting through digital media. He doesn't yet. You won't miss a FaceTime call from God, a text message from God, an email from God. But we go to our phones as if we would. Think about it. What will it take for God to get your attention? Because if God actually did this to one of you right now, if you actually looked down at your phone, every one of you would think the same thing. That ain't right. That ain't true. That ain't God. Mm -mm. Somebody's playing a prank on me. Somebody changed my contacts. No way God is calling me right now. That's not, that's not a real encounter with God. Okay, what is? What is a real encounter with God? What does that look like? Look, somebody's texting me right now. That's a, if one of you are doing that, that is totally unfair. What is a real encounter? And would a real encounter persuade you that God is real and that you should live for him? What does that real encounter look like? Would it persuade you? Would it persuade others? That is the question we are faced with this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I pray 
that your holy word would speak to us. Father, not my words, but yours. Father God, the word God is written, Lord, would speak to our hearts, Father, as we work through this journey this morning. These stories, these facts that you want to share with us, Father God, your scriptures. Father, I pray that they find good soil. Toil up our soil, Father God, and prepare it for your good seed. Father, I pray for all the unsaid prayer requests in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for healing. I pray for finances. I pray for wisdom. Father God, I pray for uh, freedom from addiction. I pray, Father God, that through this sermon, through this, this preaching this morning, that your power would be made manifest. In Jesus' name, I pray. And the church says, God is good. And all the time. All right, so are you ready now? That's the introduction. Are you ready? Okay, now you're ready. Now we're ready to go back to what we've been talking about for the last two weeks. Revelation, it's a book in the Bible. It's the last book in the Bible. Revelations is the 66th book. The Bible starts within the beginning. It literally starts with God creating the heavens and the earth, and it ends with this book about the future, this book about what's about to happen. Aren't you thankful today that you have the Holy Scriptures? Amen? Aren't you thankful? It's in your language. You can understand it. If you speak English today, you have literally 316 versions of it to read. Please find one and read it. Aren't you thankful that God just doesn't talk about our past? He does, and he shares that, and we need that for the history of where we're going. He also talks about our present all throughout the word of God. There's instructions and wisdom of how to conduct yourself today. And then he talks about our future I am thankful, and I'm thankful when I look in Revelation, I can see the victory that is before us, not just the one at the cross, but the one that is before us that Jesus Christ to have yet as a second coming to come back and to save you and me in this planet. And I'm thankful that I can read about all of the crazy things that are going to happen in the last days, some of which have happened now, most of which prophecies have already taken place for the rapture to occur. What is the rapture? What was Bill talking about? He didn't talk much about the rapture because he didn't need to. He talked about all these judgments and all these things that happen in the tribulation. What's the tribulation? Really tough times? Like really worse than anything we've experienced? The rapture is what Bill was preaching was the time at which the Christians are called up before all of those bad times. Bible says the dead in Christ, those who are dead, those who are buried, those who are cremated, will be raised up first. And then all of us who believe in God, who are living for God, will be raised up. The trumpet with the sound. And then there's all of this stuff that happens. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful today for our omission of that. I'm thankful that we do not have to witness that. I'm thankful today for revelations. So I want to look real quick at revelations I'm not going to spend much time on it, but for those of you who didn't see it, didn't hear it, I want you to experience it. You see, it's very interesting. Revelations talks about these three waves of judgments, these three waves of terrible things that are going to happen. Bill took two weeks to walk us through it, so I'm not going to spend much time, much time at all. I just want to point out, in the first wave, there was an antichrist, there was famine, there was war, there was a quarter of the people dead judgment God placed on earth. Some of you pray for judgment. Some of you pray that evil people get their due. God is doing it right here, right now. It's not just evil people. You see, there are plenty of people who are good. There are plenty of people who live a good life, who are good in humanity, who are good human beings, who do not know Jesus, who have not decided for Jesus. There's an entire Jewish culture that does not yet know Jesus that the the tribulation is trying to speak to people of other world religions, as well as the evil people. 
So God judges them, seven different judgments in the first one. You would think this would get their attention. Do you think it got their attention? Let's look, Revelations chapter 6, verse 15, it says, Then everyone hid themselves in the caves among the rocks and the mountains. Everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, every slave, every free person hid themselves. Why'd they hide themselves? Were they having a Bible study saying, Lord, please help me, save me? Were they getting together in a worship service so that they could do it in private? Surely that's what they were doing. That's what I'd be doing. No, no, let's see. Revelation 6, 16 says, no, they cried to the mountains and the rocks, not God. They cried to mountains and rocks, and they said, fall on us, hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. What? We came here this morning to experience God's presence. We drove here. We got prepared. We worshiped to experience God's presence. And yet, there will be people of this world, people that we may know, or descendants of people that we may know, who will one day be in this moment where they will run from his presence. Where they will ask to be killed rather than to be in his presence. Be thankful today that you are capable of experiencing his presence. Let's keep looking. So that wasn't enough. So there was a second wave, the wave of trumpets. The angels broke trumpets and terrible things happened. What kind of things? Hail and fire thrown to earth. A third of the sea turned to blood. The sun turned dark. And then there were these locusts. And it wasn't enough that there was like billions of them. They were, the Bible says, armored. They had armor on them. And then they came down and attacked the people. They targeted individual human beings. Like, that's crazy. And a bunch of people died. Many people died. You think that would get their attention, right? Right? Hmm. Let's look. Revelations chapter 9, verse 20. But the people who did not die in these evil plagues, they still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They still refused to repent. The Bible continues, they continue to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. They continued about their lives as they saw fit, despite the fact that God was trying to get their attention. It didn't work. Maybe you're getting the message. Let's continue real quick. I got to move on. So there was a third wave, the bowls. You know, the bowls that Bi the Bible says that he stores up our tears where these weren't those bowls. These were the bowls of plagues and judgment that the angels poured out. There were seven of them that included the seas turning the blood and the fresh water turning the blood. And, and it had this culmination of literally the sun it wreaking um, explosive heat down onto all the remaining human beings and burning them. Surely, surely the people ran to God and bowed before him. Surely the sun is exploding. That's the time, right? Right? Every movie we've ever seen, that's when you finally give it up. Say, God, I believe. I believe you did it. I worship you. Surely that's what happens in Revelation 16, right? Everyone was burned by the blast, and yet they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. They did not repent 
Just get that in your spirit for a second. Three waves, 21 plagues, and they didn't repent. Any of you today who pray for vengeance, who pray for revenge, who pray for judgment for those who have harmed you, hurt you, yes, God will do it. The Bible talks about it. Will it move their heart? Will it move their heart to God? Will it? Will it? This is what we have to look forward to. It isn't going to work. Not for most of them. You could do the numbers. Most don't survive the tribulation. And those who give the heart to the Lord are few and far between in this time. So then we may say, well, okay, maybe that's not how I fill the blank. That's not how the Lord's going to get attention, not through judgment. You know, he'll get my attention through miracles. Surely that's it. If he heals people, cast out demons, if he can do crazy supernatural things like superheroes, that will get my attention. Really? Really? This guy here, you know who he is? That's Jesus. He's going into Jerusalem on the donkey. This man did a lot of miracles. A lot of miracles turned water into wine. He then walked on the water. He then told the water to peace be still. He healed people who were paralyzed. He healed lepers. Healed the blind. Turned five bread and two loaves into enough for 5,000. Did they believe? Did they live for him? Did the church grow? No. As a matter of fact, these same people killed him, got rid of him. The growth for the church didn't come till much later. Sure, will the growth of church follow signs and wonders and miracles? The Bible says so, yes. Is that the reason people give their heart to the Lord? Is that the reason that people will live for Jesus? Will that draw them? Not throughout history. It'll surely get them in church. It'll give them an opportunity. But it's not the single reason. Maybe you say, oh, it's the presence of God. We believe in the presence of God. We are about to cast a vision for 2020 about the presence of God and how we can be a part of his supernatural presence in this place. It's going to be very important for Kingsway. Will it alone save the souls of all the people who come through these doors? When I think of the presence of God, I think of the Ark of the Covenant. I think of the veil where the Ark was behind, and that is where there was both judgment and presence. You touched it, you died. You got close to it, you felt it. Judgment and presence, did it save the multitude? No. Then you think back to the real presence. When I think to the real presence of God, I don't think to the, the Exodus. I go way back. I mean way back. I go back to Genesis. When I think of Genesis, the presence of God manifests itself in a man who walked among us. What? The Bible says in Genesis 3.8, the cool evening breezes were blowing and the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, they heard the Lord God walking about the God. Can you get this in your mind for a second? Imagine walking outside and there's God just walking around your property saying, hey, I want to spend time with you. This is the God that we know. This is the God we serve. Surely his presence will have us running to him, bowing at his feet, giving our life over to him. Surely his presence will do it, right? Right? Genesis 3.8, that's only half of it. What's the other half say? And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. What? 
I asked Griffin this morning, my son, he's six. Uh, he, he can read. He read the first half. I said, what would you do if God came to us and walked, to, walked among our garden and came into our house? He goes, Dad, Dad, I would, I would go wake everyone up. It was really early morning. I'd go wake everyone up and we'd gather together. And then, you know what we do, Dad? We would pray. I go, well, he's, he's already here. Well, we will talk to him. Isn't that the same thing? Yes, Griffin, that's what we would do. I said, can you read this next verse? And he read this. He goes, hid? Hid? What, what does that mean? You mean like hide and seek? Hid? I said, why do you think they hid? He goes, well, I don't know, Dad. Maybe they were scared. See, they had just sinned. Sin separates us from God. Sin, sin makes us hide from God. They were naked. They literally took a fig leaf, covered themselves up, and hid behind a tree. The almighty, all-knowing, all-seeing God and two little human beings hid themselves with a fig leaf behind a bush. How silly is that? How silly are we as sinners who believe we can hide from the Lord your God. Our self-absorbed, silly thinking has led us to these three thoughts. All culminated in the very next thing God said. Genesis 3.9. You don't need to use your Bible today? I've pleasantly put it on the screen for you. It says, the Lord God called to them and said, where are you? Where are you today? Spiritually, where are you today? I mean, I know you're here. You're sitting here. You're listening. What's going through your mind right now? Are you thinking about something else? You're processing whatever else is going on in your life, your calendar, your schedule, your finances, your emotions. What are you processing? Where are you right now? God is trying to get your attention. Here in Genesis 3.9, he literally is asking for their attention. He knows where they are. He's saying, where is your attention? Why can't I have it? What would it take for the Lord God to get your attention? His presence, his miracles, his judgment. This is what we're faced with this morning. Now, do I have your attention? I'm going into the third part of my message here, which is the verse of the day. The whole point of my message is this verse here. John 6, verse 44, it says, For no one can come to me, this is Jesus speaking, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. Now, this is a seminal verse in Christianity. It's a seminal verse in theology. If you don't know it, I'm sure you've heard it. This verse, it marks pretty much every denomination we know today. The church split over this verse. There is half the church that believes it means one thing and half the church means it believes something else. In short, we all agree that no man can come to the Father but through Jesus Christ. That part's undisputed. We need Jesus to get to God. Other religions won't do it. Secondly, when we get Jesus, we get to go to heaven on the last day. That part there's no debate on. The debate is right in the middle. It said, draws them to me. What does that mean? And so half the church believes that God draws or woos or attracts or allures people to him providing an opportunity for a response, a direct response to his drawing, his wooing, his alluring, his urging. The other half of the church believes the word draw is the same word that is meant to be to draw a weapon or a sword because it was used in the Bible that way, meaning that the, the, the object of the drawing has no will, has no effort, has no 
volition. It is just going to do exactly what God has said. So the one camp believes that everyone is drawn and some respond. The other camp believes that everyone responds, but only some are drawn. And so the church is divided. I'm not here to get into a huge debate about that. That's not the point of my sermon. I will point out that John 12, 32 says, quote, and I will draw everyone, end quote, but I'm not going to get into semantics. Let's talk about this verse and what happens after it, because that is what I care about. That is what we hear far less about. We get hung up on 44, and we don't read 45. 45 is the next one, which literally tells us how he will draw you. Or in other words, how he will, quote, get your attention. For no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me gets their attention. So now go back into your life. How did God get your attention? How did you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Did you just wake up one day and go, wow, uh, I know the gospel. Jesus died for me. I'm going to believe in him. Or did something else happen? Was there a series of events, a series of life experiences, probably of your own making, some maybe outside of your control, a series of events that led you to a bunch of questions you did not have answers to? And those answers that you were searching for led you to all sorts of things, books, people, sermons, who knows what. But at some point, this happened, verse 45. It says, as it is written, that means in the Bible, as it is written, they will be taught by God. Romans 1 says that everyone will know the invisible things of God for it is clearly seen in his creation. God teaches everyone. Everyone has heard the Father and learned from him will come to me. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. In other words, God's modus operandi, God's main way of getting your attention is to use his word. He will speak. And as it is written, means he has spoke a lot already. It's here. At some point, at some time, somebody shared some part of that Bible with you. At some point, it was in a Sunday school. It was in a bedroom. It was on the radio. It was on the TV. It was on a track. It happened. At some point, you read or heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. God drew you to ask yourself this question. Is this real? Do you have my attention, Lord? And then you responded with a yay or nay. And because most of you are here today, I believe that you responded with yes, I believe the Bible says that faith comes one way. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? The word. You see, we make it so complicated in church today. Fancy music and fancy services and fancy rituals and all sorts of things we do to bring forth the presence of God, hoping the presence of God will change all of the unsaved. In fact, I find in more cases the presence of God changes the saved more than it does the unsaved. You know what it gets us doing? Gets us pumped, gets us ready, gets us inspired, gets us to the place where we have power from high so we can do greater works than even Jesus did. And what are those greater works? Speak to more people! The whole sermon is wrapped up in this one point that everyone has heard the Father. How did you hear it? 
And I guarantee you, well, that's strong, sorry, Lord. I'm more than probable that however you heard it probably wasn't what you were thinking about how God got your attention. You probably were thinking about the thing that led up to the person who said something to you. And so this morning, this morning, I want us to take one moment, if you could just close your eyes and think of that person, whoever it was, that shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. This is that moment. Maybe it was a moment that you can remember. Maybe it was a big deal. Or maybe as a child, it was just something that happened over time because mom and dad had shared it with you so many times. I want you to think of who shared the gospel with you, and I want you to be thankful. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for whoever has shared us the gospel the people in our lives that have brought your gospel message to us. May we be thankful, Father God, this morning that you brought that person. In Jesus' name, amen. On the slide today, I say everyone here is thankful for someone. Everyone had a conversation. They either had a dialogue. If it was a track, somebody wrote it. If it was a, a devotion, somebody wrote it. If it was on the radio, somebody spoke it. Unless God himself spoke from heaven and told you about Jesus Christ himself, you heard it from somebody. That somebody deserves some credit this morning. And that is what you're thankful because God put that person in your life. Amen. It wasn't judgment. It wasn't just a miracle and it wasn't just God's presence. Those things may have played a big role in it, but at the end of the day, it was you hearing the word of God. And so that leads me back to McDonald's. How in the world did you do that? I was 16 years old, 15, 15 years old. I wanted a job. I wanted to make a couple dollars. Had my life together, at least I thought. And I went to McDonald's and I got that job. I got promoted, which meant I got to work the cash register. Simply means they trusted me with money. It wasn't much money. A lot of it was 25 cent coffees and dollar egg muffins and a $3 happy meal or value meal, whatever it was. That's back when tax was only 5% and it was 299, so it was $3 and 14 cents to get a meal. I knew it by heart. So every Sunday morning, a senior citizen would come into that McDonald's in Perry Hall, the one that is now torn down. There's a new one in its place. And he would say pretty much the same thing to me every Sunday morning. Hey, do you know Jesus? No, you asked me last week. Still don't know the guy. You should come to my church and find him. So what can I get you, sir? Nig McMuffin? coffee. Weeks went by and he began to know my name. He knew my name was Sean and he would say, Sean, you need to come to my church. You need to find Jesus. You may think you have your life together, but God will make it better. God has things in store for you you do not know of. That's interesting. What can I get you this morning? A coffee, an egg McMuffin. Just a coffee, Sean. Weeks went on and he began to tell me about his family and I'm bad with names, so he let me call him Pop, he said he had grandchildren. Pop would come in and say, you need to come to my church. I'd said, think about it. Maybe next week. I work on Sunday. Lots of excuses. Continue to share the gospel in a plain and simple way. A senior citizen to a 16-year-old child. I didn't go to church with him. A couple weeks later, he stepped up his game. And he said, you need to come to church with me, Sean. Meet my God. Meet your Lord and Savior. Yeah, I know, I'm not making it yet. I have a granddaughter. You should meet her. Now you're talking, you got a picture? We joke and laugh and chuckle. 
I did not go to church with him. Weeks and weeks and months and months, probably almost, almost a year had gone by he was doing this. More time had passed. A youth pastor later was hired at that church, got a job at that McDonald's, and something happened. I ended up visiting that church of that grandpa. I met that church, I met that man, and I met his granddaughter. But more importantly, I met his God. I met my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at a church with a man who came into McDonald's for about six or seven months straight asking me to come. One man plants, another man waters. Pop. His name was Robert Gwynn. Robert Gwynn passed away November 3rd, 2019, just a few weeks ago. Robert Gwynn was my grandfather because that granddaughter of his, I sure took a liking to, and six years later, I married Bridget Mears, and she became Bridget Simon, and we've had a bunch of children since then and created some great-grandchildren for Pop Gwynn. Pop Gwynn was my spiritual grandfather, teaching me all things about the Lord God, teaching me scriptures that I did not understand. I didn't have a chance to go to seminary school. I went to a secular college, and he told me, well, we'll have to just remedy that. And we went through scripture many times, explaining all sorts of scriptures, including John 6, 44, and many other complicated ones that threw me into confusion. But I want to tell you one thing and one thing so clearly this morning, that I am thankful that God had sent that man to share the gospel to me. Not that he sent me a miracle of which I've experienced many. I was in a hospital bed, thought to be paralyzed. I walk here today. That did not save my soul. One day, the gospel message of Jesus Christ got into my spirit. I remember the day the sermon was preached, but I could have never heard that sermon if that grandfather didn't encourage me to come to church. Way before the youth pastor ever got to me, he laid the foundation. And I tell you, he taught me many things in scripture about who God is, about who the enemy is, and about who I shall be. But when it came to me thanking him for being that someone, he made something so very clear to me that I wanted to share with you this morning for our Thanksgiving service. Don't just be thankful for that someone. I want you and me to now be that someone. God has called you, is calling you, and will continue to call you and draw you, not just as an unsaved unbeliever, but as a Bible-believing disciple of Christ, he's got plans for you. He's got a future for a hope. He has good gifts that come down from heaven. He will work all things together for good. He is the good God. And he wants you to be that someone. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.